But today we're going to be talking about spiritual warfare, um, in particular people trying to encourage us to do things that God says we shouldn't be doing. Um, and we're going to look at some of the ways in which Satan does that. Um, so that's why I call it spiritual warfare. And so if you want the topic for today would be don't listen to their voices. Don't listen to their, their voices. That's something that Paul is going to be letting us know as well. Don't listen to them. Anybody trying to tell you to do something contrary to the word of God, don't listen to their voices. So that is in Ephesians 5. We're going to pick back up in Ephesians 5. We are preaching through the book of Ephesians. Last week we had a little detour. We just talked about knowing God and having a fellowship with him. And today we're going to talk about, again, this spiritual battle. We're going to pick up where we left off in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, which is in verse 3. So we're going to look at verse 3 through 7 today. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3 through 7. If you recall a little while back, we looked at verse 1 and 2 about being imitators of God, right? That's who we're supposed to imitate. And uh, today we'll be looking at verses 3 through 7. So let us read the word of God together. Chapter 5, I'm going to start at verse 1 just to kind of give you context and then we'll go down to 7. The word of God reads, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Here goes our meat, what we're going to dig in today. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you, not even spoken of, as is proper among saints. Verse 4, and there must be no filthiness and silly talk or chorus jesting, or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, church, this is Paul saying here, you know this for sure, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. He says, you know this, that's sure. Six, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Seven, therefore do not be partakers with them. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Do not share in their activity. When it comes to reading scripture, church, when I'm speaking in general here, we are I, I, we like the verses that speak about God glorifying us, right? We love the John 3.16 type verses, the verses that speak about God loving me for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? We, we love the verses that speak about God's concern for us. We, we like the Romans 5.8 that while we were yet sinners, Christ came and died for us, right? We, we like those verses. We love the, the John 10.10 10 that Jesus says that I came to give life and life in abundance. We, we love those verses, right? I get life from meeting Jesus. Yes, Jesus, tell me about that, right? We, we like the Romans chapter 8 verse 38 and 39 that talks about God's love for us and how nothing can separate us from God's love. We, we, we love those verses, 
Or even when you go to the Old Testament, we love the Isaiah 54, 17 verses that says, no weapon formed against me shall prosper, right? We, we love those verses. I see t-shirts and bumper stickers and, and hats with those verses. We, we love those verses. Those verses are just, they're, they're meat, right? Those verses are steak to us. They are filet mignon. They are, they are brisket to us, right? They are brisket smoked for 18 hours. They just taste good to us. And we say, yes, God, give me more of that type of teaching. Give me more words like that, God. Give me a second plate of that. I, I love when you tell me how much you love me and how you are dying for me, how I'm the apple of your eye. Give me more of that, right? We, we want more verses like that. We'll take a sec second helping of that any day. But then there are these other verses in Scripture that require our action, right? That require for us to live a certain way, right? Verses that require that we act a certain way or are verses that even seem to prohibit us from doing something we like to do. Now, those verses are good for us, but they're not steak, right? They're, they're, they're not steak. They're more like Brussels sprouts, right? Brussels sprouts, when, when we, we, we know we need them, right? But they just don't taste as good as the steak, right? We, we know we need them. We know that they're good for us, but they just don't taste as well. It's kind of like the book of Leviticus, right? The book of Leviticus. It's a lot of Brussels sprouts in there, right? You don't see too many people quoting Leviticus and getting Leviticus tattooed or t-shirts with Leviticus everywhere. You, you, ju you just don't, right? But Leviticus is good for me. But sometimes Leviticus is just hard to swallow. It's not that great sometimes to us, right? It just tastes like Brussels sprouts. And I'm sorry if you like Brussels sprouts. I hope I didn't offend you. Um, but even in the verse that we looked at today in Ephesians, what we looked at today here, the Holy Spirit is showing us in the verses we read from verse 3 to 7, he's showing us the activities that we should be doing and the activities that we should not be doing. And, so, and, and, and that's what he's showing us here in, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. He's showing us the activities that we should not be doing. It's like, yes, we don't need to do these things. And when we read these verses from 3 to verse 7, we like them, but really we would like more of Ephesians 1. Because in Ephesians 1, God is telling us how he has adopted us into his family and how God has chosen us from the foundation of the world. See, we, we like more of the Ephesians 1 stuff, but this Ephesians 5 stuff that we just read where God is talking about immorality and impurity and we shouldn't be living this way, those are not some of our favorite verses. We, we like the other verses. That requires really no action on our part. That's really all the action is on God saving us and loving us. But I want to remind you of Psalms 119. In Psalms 119, which is the longest psalm, it's like 176 verses. In this psalm, we read some today, that whole psalm is about God's law. That whole psalm is about God's commandments. It's all about what God commands and what God uh, demands that his people do. And you know what? The writer just loves it. If you read Psalms 119, you're going, to see, you're going to find a person that just loves God's commandment, including Leviticus. He just loves everything about God's word. He loves the parts that talks about Israel and how God loves Israel. But he also likes the part that talks about demands that God has placed on Israel or rules or commandments that they must follow. And so my hope is that we all be like the psalm writer in Psalms 19, where we cherish all of God's word, not just the parts that speak about us, but even the commandments, but even the prohibitions that we would just love all of God's word because in God's word we love what we, we learn what God what pleases God and we learn what God hates and so today in Ephesians 5 we're learning some things that God hates what he doesn't like we are being warned to not do certain activities 
We're told that we shouldn't participate in immorality and impurity and greed and how we ought to use our tongue, right? So he's teaching us something about what God hates, what God does not like, the immorality and how we can use our tongues in an evil manner. Now, before we dig more into this text, our main text here, I want you really to see the pattern from chapter 4 to chapter 5. There's really a pattern here. So if you, if you go back to chapter 4, what you'll find in chapter 4, verse 1 through 16, is Paul instructing these Ephesians on what they should do or how they should live as redeemed children of God. And the word that Paul uses to kind of summarize this is the word calling. He says in verse 1 that you should walk worthy of your calling, meaning you should live your life uh, in accordance with this holy calling that God has upon your life. That's what that means, to so walk worthy of your calling. You have this calling upon your life. Now, in the Old Testament, the children of Israel, or the nation of Israel, guess what? They also had a special calling on their life. God had chose the nation of Israel out of all the nations of the world to be this special people to them, to him. So out of all the nations of the world, he had chose Israel to be this special nation to him. And in the Old Testament, he says, Israel, you will be a kingdom of priests to me. You'll be a holy nation to me. You're going to be a holy people. Well, guess what? In the same sense, in the New Testament, Everybody that is in Jesus, guess what? You are also a special people to God. And you also have this holy calling. Why? Because you are part of the body of Jesus. And so you have this special calling upon your life. And you have this responsibility, just like Israel, to live your lives in a holy manner. To live your life separated from the rest of the world. To be God's truly chosen people. And that's what we find in, the chapters, in chapter 4, verse 1 to 16, where Paul is showing the holy people of God, this is how your life ought to look. This is how you should look. And then you go in chapter 4, verse 17 to 32, Paul is showing you how your life should not look, right? He goes and he starts in 17 by saying that we should not live our life like people who don't know God, right? You should not live your life as people who are not saved. You should not live your life as people who are not born again. And he says people who are um, walking in the futility of their mind and practicing all types of impurity and greediness. And, 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 greediness. And, and he goes on in chapter 4 to tell us that you should not be lying to one another. Why? Because you are the children of God and you have put that stuff away and he says you shouldn't be stealing anymore why because you are the children of God you should be working with your hands and then he goes and he tells us how we ought to use our tongue you should not use your tongue to tear people down but to build people up so you find it all through chapter 4 he's saying you should you should live your life this way then he says you shouldn't live your life this way and when we get to here to chapter 5 he's doing the same thing in chapter 5 verse 1 he starts by saying you should be imitators of God and you should be and your, your example is Jesus and you should be like Jesus and then you get to the verses where we are today where the apostle saying don't live your way this way so from verse 4 to 5 you see this back and forth of the apostle saying live your way this live your life this way don't live your life this way live your life this way and follow Jesus use Jesus as your example the point of all of this that the apostles trying to get us to see church is this that the way you live your life really matters the way you live your life really matters whether people are watching you or not it matters now, we don't want to be the legalistic type that's just only worried about following rules. Now, that's not, that's not also what we want to be. And we also don't want to be the person that just says, I have a relationship with God and I live my whole my life any other way I want. No, we actually want both. We want to have this personal, real relationship with God, this, this stuff I talked about last week. But we also want to have an obedience where we are following the Lord. And that is what we want. We want to be having a relationship with God, but also having obedience. 
Now here's the thing, here's the, here's the, the thing that we must be aware of. We have an enemy whose goal and aim is to destroy both of those things. You have an enemy, Satan, a spiritual enemy, whose goal is to, one, destroy your relationship with God and to destroy the way that you walk. That is the spiritual warfare stuff that I'm talking about that Paul brings up in here. See, in this letter to the Ephesians, Paul taps into the spiritual warfare more than any other thing, any other book that he writes. In this book, particularly here in Ephesians 5, he's always talking about the spiritual warfare and battles that we face. See, saints, you are in a battle right now. You, you may not see it, but there's a battle going on right now in the heavenly places in the spiritual realm. And that's why we are often we're, we're in so many struggles and why we're going through trials, because why? We are in spiritual battles. And so here in this book of Ephesians, Paul is addressing the spiritual battles that we face. And sometimes he's really explicit about it. So, for example, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, he's really explicit about some of the spiritual things we're dealing with. So let me read to you what he says here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. He says this. He says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. The prince of the power of the air is another word for Satan. And then he says, And of the spirit is that, that is now working in the sons of disobedience. So Paul here is talking about spiritual things. He said, you were dead in your sin. Why? Because you were walking according to Satan. Satan had control of you. You were under his power. And he said, there was actually a spirit working in you. It wasn't that you were just being defined just all on your own, but there was actually a spirit that was inside of you, working in you, moving you to walk in this way of disobedience. So he's showing us right there that there's really a spiritual battle happening out here. And then when you go later on in this book, in chapter 6, he talks about how our battle is not against flesh and blood. Meaning you're not really fighting people when you have arguments and fights. It's not really a person you're fighting, but you're actually fighting. There's a spiritual power behind that person. There's a spiritual thing going on. That's what you're battling gets against. It's, it's not flesh and blood, but it, it's, it's principalities, it's rulers, it's these spiritual forces that are happening. And he's saying that is where the battle is. And so in today's text, He's not going to be as explicit in explaining the spiritual battle, but he's going to be more in implicit uh, in describing the spiritual battles because in verse 3 to 7 of chapter 5, he's going to show us how Satan attacks us and the agents that, that Satan uses to attack us. And he's also going to show us the weapons that Satan uses to attack us. And that's in verse 3 to 7. So he's going to show us, again, the agents that Satan uses to attack us, to bring us back into bondage, to bring us back into slavery to sin. And he's also going to show us the weapons that Satan uses to bring us into bondage and to bring us back into sin. Now, what I'm going to do in these verses that we look at, I know that's a pretty long introduction here, is that I'm going to teach it from the bottom up. So I know we're used to being taught from the bottom, uh, from the top down. But we're going to go from the bottom up because in verse 6 and 7, they help you to understand verse 3, 4, and 5. So 6 and 7 help you to understand why Paul is even raising these issues in verse 3 and 4. So here in, in verse 5, uh, in chapter 5, um, the apostle, he's, he's warning these Ephesians. He's warning these Ephesians about people who's going to try to come in and convince you that up really is down and that left really is right and all of the immoral and impure things that Paul talked about in verse chapter 4 that we should not do they're going to actually tell you that they are okay and that you should actually partake in those so that is why in verse 6 and 7 he says do not 
He says, let no one deceive you with empty words because of these things. The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So there were people around the church who were trying to tell them all the immoral stuff that you know that God disagrees with, all of the wrong and impure things that you know that God hates. He said that there's going to be people that's going to come with these empty words, with empty arguments backed up by science to try to convince you that those things are right, that those things are okay. And so that's why he says in verse 6, do not let them deceive you with their empty words. All of the things that I warned you about, for example, in chapter 419, he, he told them to do not be a slave to sensuality. Sensuality is our five senses, right? We have five senses of what taste, smell, see, hear, uh, and feel, right? And oftentimes when we're in sin, we, we do things that taste good, right? Because this drug tastes good, so I'm going to do it. If this girl looks good, I'm going to follow it. Whatever makes me feel good, whatever I hear that sounds good, I'm oftentimes enslaved to that. And so those things that Paul is warning about in chapter 4, verse 19, the sensuality that he says, church, you must stay away from, he said that there's going to be people in the world that is telling you that it's actually okay, that it's okay for you to engage in those immoral things, that it's okay for you to engage in the sinful things that God hates. He says, but don't believe them. Don't fall for their empty words. See, what you must understand, church, these Ephesians that we're reading about here, guess what? They were not living in Iowa, right? They were not living in some religious, small, conservative, rural place. No, they were living in Ephesus. And guess what? Ephesus was like the third largest Roman kingdom or Roman uh, a country state in, in the Roman Empire. And in this place, you had people coming from all over the world. So there was just sin galore. So imagine these Ephesians, right? They were just not too long ago in this paganism where they just did all of these immoral things. And now they have left those immoral things and they're following Jesus. But guess what? All of their homeboys and homegirls are still engaged in the same stuff. All of their family members are still back into that paganism. They're still doing all the immoral things. All of the people around in their town are still doing the same immoral things. And so as they go throughout their life, there's always people saying, man, I don't know what this guy you believe in, but now nah, they're wrong. They got it wrong. You can do these immoral things. It's okay if you do those things. It's okay if you just, just taste this a little bit. There's nothing wrong with it. And so that's what Paul is addressing here. The culture around them, the people around them were trying to convince them to do things that they knew God said no. And they were using these words and these sweet arguments. And Paul is saying in verse 6, do not let them deceive you with those empty words. You know what God hates. You know what God likes. So, so don't go and just listen to their voices. Now that should sound very familiar to us, right? That should sound very familiar because we have the same voices in our culture. And think about it, we even have more voices in our culture than they did in Ephesus. Because here in the first century, guess what? They didn't have YouTube. In the first century, they didn't have Twitter. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have Instagram. They didn't have, uh, what is it, TikTok. They didn't have all of those voices speaking and telling you what is right, what God likes, what is righteous, what is moral. They only had just the first century. They didn't even have news. I mean, they just had the people around them. But we have all of these different voices, all of these people. We have social media. We have news networks. We have friends. We have family all trying to tell us the opposite of what God says in his world. And so we are in the same situation where we got to listen out for those voices and be aware. Of what is the voice of God and what is the voice that is not of God? And those are some of the things we have to really think about. The voices that you hear, the people that you're speaking to. Are they speaking God's word? Are the ones that are telling you it's okay for you to engage in those certain things, are they of God? 
That's the thing that Paul is saying. They are children of disobedience. So Paul is saying, don't listen to them. They don't know God. And so we have to be on guard for that because that's what Paul is warning these Ephesians. He's telling them, don't partake with them. Don't let them deceive you. I don't, I don't care if, guess what, if they are of your same ethnicity. I don't care if they look like you. I don't care if they're from your same hood. I don't care if they're from your same town. If they're not speaking the things of God, if they're not encouraging you with things that are of God, he's saying, don't listen to them. Don't follow their ways. So we have to do the same thing. I don't care if they're part of your same political party. I don't care if they're wearing the same jersey you like. I don't care if they're of your same ethnicity. Are they speaking the words of God? Are they trying to encourage you to do things that God hates? Are they trying to encourage you to immorality and impurity and greed? Or are they trying to push you towards God? If they're not doing that, then I, I don't want to hear it. And that, that's what Paul is saying. It doesn't matter. Don't listen to him. And, and, and I like the way he, he, he says it when he talks about the immorality. He says that not only are we not supposed to be partakers with them in this immorality that they're trying to encourage us to do, but in verse 3 he says that that immorality should not even be named among you. Meaning he's saying that it shouldn't even be a rumor that you guys are engaged in that immorality that they're talking about. Some of that immoral stuff that they're talking about. It shouldn't even be a rumor. It shouldn't even be a thought. That is the beauty of what Paul's saying. He's saying it shouldn't even be a rumor that you guys are engaged in this. Why? Because in verse 3 he says, because it is not proper among saints. Meaning, you are saints of God. You are the holy people of God. That is why there should not be any rumor that you are engaged in these certain acts. Why? Because you are God's special people. You are the saints of the living God. You are the ones who he, who he has put his spirit inside of. You are the one who he has adopted and made his sons and daughters. He has chosen you from the foundation of the world. He, he has made you a part of his household. So that, that immorality, that stuff that the world is trying to encourage you to do, guess what it should not even be named among you unless you even partake in it there shouldn't even be rumors of this and that's that's what Paul is encouraging us here like you are saints church you're believers you're followers of Jesus you 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 know have jerseys you have people's name on your back right my my, my you have Jordan or Kobe you got God's name you have the God jersey on you got God's name on your back and you're walking around this world with God's jersey you are saints and because you are saints Paul is saying we can't engage in this it's not even proper for that to even be mentioned among the saints that's what he says in verse three the things that are immoral and the things that they're trying to encourage the church to do. You're saints. So he says in verse 6, let no one deceive you with the empty words. Don't let them try to convince you that it's okay. It's not. And not only do the people in verse 6 try to convince you to do certain immoral acts, things that you know that are not aligned with God's word, but these same people in verse 6 will also try to regulate your speech. Because look what he says here in verse 4. He says, and therefore be Therefore, and there um, must be no filthiness and silly talk and coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Why does he say that? Because the same people in verse 6 that would encourage you to walk in immorality are the same people in verse 4 telling you that it is okay for you to talk that way. It's okay for you to use that, that locker room talk. That's okay. It's okay for you to use just really bad and demeaning jokes. It's, it's just a joke. We're just having fun. No, Paul is showing that God is even concerned about how you joke. The things that you laugh at, the things that you say that's funny, you know, God is actually concerned about that. And, and, when I was, and when I'm reading this verse, to be honest, I'm like, oh, because I like Dave Chappelle, right? 
But Dave Chappelle says some wild, vulgar stuff. And so what I do, I, I, I listen to Dave Chappelle through VidAngel where I can bleep out all of his curse words. So that's, that's how I kind of get through it. But, um, but, but still, the, the point is, Paul is saying here that there are going to be people, verse 6, the deceivers who are going to encourage you to say it's nothing wrong for you to talk wild. It's nothing wrong for you to use filthy language. There's nothing wrong for you to just talk to people all types of ways. It's nothing wrong for you to just use that rock locker room talk. And he's saying, no, don't listen to them. They're, they're lying. God actually is concerned about how you talk. He's concerned about what you laugh at. It's not just anything. See, that's the thing. The enemy's not just attacking you, trying to get you to physically do something, but he, even how you speak, it matters. It matters to God. And so you had people trying to say it didn't matter. Oh, yeah, it's just a joke, right? No, God is saying it's not just a joke. It, it matters the words that come out of your mouth. So when you sum these two things up from verse 3 to 4, we see that our immorality and impurity, these people are trying, in verse 6, were trying to get us to do things that are not approved of God. And we see that they were also trying to get us to speak in ways that are not approved of God. So those are the, the two things that we really have to watch out for. And Paul's saying that those things, that nasty speech, the immorality, that they shouldn't even be named among you. The cursing, the filthy talk, going and doing things that God hates. He says, that stuff shouldn't even be named among you as saints. Why? Because you carry God's jersey on your back. My man's a Laker fan, right? You, you wear the Lakers. You know, oh, that's a Laker fan. If you're a Raider fan, you know, we, we rock God's jersey. We're saints of the Holy Ones, of, of the Holy One. And so because of that, even our speech matters. And so Satan will attack your speech. He will try to get you to talk crazy, to defile this name, this jersey that you're wearing. And so Paul is trying to just make them aware. I know you come out of this. I know Ephesians, I know you came out of this, this pagan background where it was okay. And I know that when you go to the barbecue, all of your cousins are talking like this. I know they're still using those type of language, but guess what? You are a saint now. You're wearing God's jersey. So don't let them deceive you by saying, oh, it's just a little curse word or, or oh, it's just a little white liar. Or I'm just using these words. No, you got God's jersey on now. So you, you, can't, you can't talk like them. That's the point that he's making here. You can't let them deceive you. That stuff shouldn't even be mentioned among you. Now, I know I can't speak for the church as a whole. I can only speak for the church in America. That's the only church that I've known. But I hate the fact that a lot of immoral and impure things, the stuff that Paul mentions in verse 3, they are named among us. They are mentioned among us. I hate that that's how we are with the church in America. Now, I will say this. I understand that much of that stuff is a lie. That is people just saying stuff that's not really us. But some of the rumors that people say about the church are true. They're not rumors. And I hate that. And the reason I, I would say that some of the, the, the things that people say about the church and believers are true is because the church at some point in time, they did what Paul prohibits in verse 6. They let voices come in and deceive them and convince them that things that God said was wrong were actually right. And that's the whole point that Paul is saying is there's going to be voices, there's going to be people coming in and saying that things that God says is wrong, it's actually right. And that has happened in church history throughout, particularly American history, where voices have come in 
and convince the church, convince believers that what God said, no, he didn't mean that he really said this. Just, just one little example would be like the Crusades, for example, where men of God were able to convince other men that, oh, no, Jesus said we need to go kill the heathen, right? Again, that's the same thing that happened in verse 6. It's these deceiving voices going out to the church, convincing believers that what God says is moral or immoral is actually moral, vice versa. And that is the thing we must guard for today. Because even throughout American church history, we've had people, Christians, who said, no, it's okay if you treat your neighbor who doesn't look at you like you this way. It doesn't matter if they don't have these rights and these privileges. No, it, there's people who went and convinced. They, these voices came and gave the church words that were not of God. And many in the church believed those words and lived a certain way. And so Paul is warning again that we have to watch out for that. And church, you got to watch out for, for voices that are trying to convince you, the saints of God, to do things that we know that God hates and that is immoral. And we got to watch it more than anybody because we got all of these voices coming from everywhere. I already mentioned all the places that we hear the voices from the radio, from our phone, everybody telling us this is what God says. This is okay. This is Christian. No, we have to know for ourselves, And here's where the spiritual warfare comes in. Remember I said we're talking about spiritual warfare. Here's where the spiritual warfare comes in. Who are the people in verse 6? Who are the people that are deceiving the church? When you look in verse 6, Paul identifies who are the people who are deceiving the church to convince them that the immorality and impurity that God hates is actually okay. Who are they? How, how does Paul describe them? In verse 6, he calls them sons of disobedience. So the people that are trying to convince you to live lives contrary to God's word, to speak contrary to God's word, he identifies these people as sons of disobedience. Where else have we heard this term sons of disobedience? Back in chapter 2, right? Go back to Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 2, he identifies sons of disobedience. Remember, we says in Ephesians 2, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. So the sons of disobedience, the people who are encouraged you to live contrary to God's word, according to the scripture, are the people that are still under Satan's rule and reign, who are still under Satan's power. And Paul is saying, these are the ones that are trying to convince you. This is why I said this is a spiritual battle. The ones who are trying to convince you to go against God, Paul says they're sons of disobedience. They are people that are still under the influence and control of Satan. These are people who are still dead in their sins. They have not been made alive to God. They do not have the Holy Spirit working inside of them. They have this spirit, this spirit of disobedience working inside of them. They said these are the people that are trying to encourage you to live this way that is contrary to God's word. That's why I said this is a spiritual battle. See, Satan is sending people. People who look good, just like you and I, he doesn't have to come and send demons to attack you. No, he sends his minions to come and speak to you to get you off of your track, to bring you back into bondage, to bring you back into that thing that God has broken you free from. So here is a learning lesson that we should learn from this text. And that is one, we need to be very cautious on receiving advice from people who do not know Jesus. You have to really be cautious about the advice you receive from people who have never met Jesus. 
Because if they never met Jesus, they'll tell you some of anything just based on their own worldly wisdom. Oh, yeah, bro, go ahead and do that. Oh, yeah, my sister, go ahead and do that. They've never met Jesus, so they're just leaning to their own understanding and their own way. So we have to be cautious about taking advice from people who have never met Jesus. I want to give you this verse here that really sums this up. It's Isaiah 8, 19, and it's, Isaiah says this here. Or the word of God says this. When they say to you, consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not the people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? In other words, why would I go to somebody who is spiritually dead to teach me about living? Do you see the point here? You're spiritually dead. I'm going to come to you about how to live? No. That's why I said you got to be cautious about taking advice from people who do not know Jesus. What is it? You are spiritual life. How can the dead tell you about how to live? And that's what Isaiah says there. So we got to be cautious about taking all types of stuff because they'll lead us to going contrary to God's word. No, we need to go to God and people who are alive who know what living is so we just don't go to anything so we see that God uses or that Satan uses just regular people to do his dirty work to come and attack you he uses people that look pretty he uses celebrities he uses uh, politicians he uses all those people to what what does he say in Isaiah I mean um, Ephesians verse 6 to deceive you with empty words to deceive you with empty words, to encourage you to speak or to live contrary to God's word. That's what Satan does. He uses people. He doesn't have to use demons to come and just haunt you. He can use a regular person that looks good, a celebrity that looks pretty, to give you words, to have you saying, oh, God didn't say that uh, you'll go to hell for cheating on your wife. How many times have we heard people say, man, God ain't going to send you to hell for just doing this one time, right? Or God ain't going to send you to hell for just getting this, this divorce and going and cheating on your wife. Or, or God is not going to send you to hell for just sleeping with this person one time. Or, or God is not going to send me to hell for just getting drunk and high all the time. That's the word that comes from the enemy. Or God is not going to do this. Or God is not going to send me to hell for just watching this pornographic material. That's, that's how Satan uses people to speak those little arguments and lies into our mind to convince us to go contrary to God's word. And that's the thing that Paul is saying we have to be on guard against. These people, these voices, these words, these empty arguments and words trying to convince us to live contrary to the word of God. And we've all met people like that. That says, oh, God ain't going to get mad if you do this. Or God ain't going to do this. Man, God, God know you're human. He's, he's okay with that. All of the arguments, I'm sure we've all heard them. All of the people, when we're trying to walk righteous, they're trying to say, man, God, you're doing too much over here. God ain't really tripping about that. Come on, you're doing too much. Just go ahead and do this. It's okay. See, in those speeches, you can hear the hiss of the serpent. Yeah. That's, that's just, you can hear it. Because what, what does Satan tell Eve? Same thing. Did God really say? See, God gave a commandment and he started to make her question and wonder. That's the same thing Paul is talking about here in Ephesians 5, 6. Deceivers trying to convince the saints to go against what God says. Did God really say? God ain't worried about you doing all that. You ain't got to go to church. You're doing too much. Just read your Bible. That's all you need to do. Come on, we heard all the arguments from the enemy coming to deceive us. Paul is saying, don't, don't let them deceive you. That's Satan. He's using people to kind of get you back into bondage. That's the spiritual battle. So that's the tools that Satan uses. He uses people to go 
and try to bring us back into bondage, but what, what is the actual weapon that he uses to bring us into bondage? The answer is in verse 6. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words. Words is Satan's tool. It's words. See, here's the thing. Satan knows, guess what? Satan knows that he can't possess you anymore. You've already been redeemed. You've already been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's son. God's Holy Spirit resides in you. That's what possesses you. Jesus has already plundered Satan's house. You are now in the kingdom of God. So Satan knows he can't possess you. He can't have control over you like he did in your old life. In those old ways where you were caught in this snare and this trap. So he can't grab you like that. All he can do now, guess what? It's to send words and arguments to bring you back into bondage. That's all he can do. He, he can't possess you anymore. You are God's, you are Jesus. So what does he do? He sends his minions, people, to what? Give you words, to give you arguments, to try to make you to doubt what God says. So Paul says, again, I'm gonna keep saying the same thing in verse six. Let no one deceive you with empty words because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Don't listen to these empty words. They're arguments. That's, that's what Satan is using to try to lure you back into the old life, back into your old way. It's just words and arguments that come from all of these different voices coming our way. So he's saying, no. You've got to be on guard against that. Don't let those voices come and trip you up to bring you back into bondage. And what is the thing that he bring up to kind of deter the saints away from walking according, I mean, walking contrary to God's word? The things that he brings up is one, in verse 6, he says, the wrath of God abides on the sons of disobedience. So he reminds him that the, the people that are encouraged you to do these things, guess what? God's wrath actually abides on them. So you, you, you don't want to go their route. God's wrath abides on these people. See, you don't want to listen to them. Because right now, these are people under the wrath of God. And actually, this verse, in verse 6, the wrath of God comes upon them. That's actually written in the present. Meaning that the wrath of God is on them right now. Not that it will come, but it abides on you. This is John 3.36. Saying that the wrath of God, it's, it's abiding on those children of disobedience. And you don't want to be these children of disobedience. You want to have that wrath abide on you. So he's, he's making it know, don't go that route. That route has come from people whose who God's wrath is constantly sitting on right now. You, you don't want to listen to these people. They don't know God. God's wrath abides on them. So he, he warns them by letting them know that that stuff, those people that are speaking those words contrary to God's word, guess what? Those are people with God's wrath abiding on them. They don't even know God. They don't even know life. So God's wrath is on them. But the main deterrent that he gives to the Ephesians to encourage them to walk according to God's word and not contrary to God's word is uh, what we see in verse 5. This is the main deterrent that he uses to encourage the church to stay walking on the path of righteousness. He says in verse 5, For you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So it's the inheritance that we will receive. He's saying, I know they're trying to convince you that this thing you're doing is right. 
This immoral thing is right, but he's saying, guess what? The people that practice those things, the immorality, the greed, the filthy talk, he says, they will have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. So you, you sure you want to risk it? You, you, you want to risk the kingdom of God for a one-night stand? You, you, you want to you risk the kingdom of God for that? No. He said, those who do these acts, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is the thing that Paul is waving and reminding the church that you have this inheritance in God's kingdom and do not let nobody distract you from that because you put that inheritance at risk. And so he says here, do not, he says, those people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Remember, the kingdom of God is that thing that Jesus said that it is worth selling everything for to have. Do you remember the parable of the hidden treasure? That he said that if a man found his treasure in the ground he, with excitement, he goes and he sells all that he has to go and purchase his field. That is the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is this really valuable treasure that Jesus said that is worth um, selling all to get. Or the kingdom of God, he says, is like this pearl of great prize that, that you should give everything you can just to get it. That kingdom of God... Paul says, if you are walking contrary to the Lord, you will not have an inheritance in it. See, church, I don't know if you know this, but you are an heir. You have something in common with Paris Hilton, right? Paris Hilton, right? She's an heir to what? The Hilton brand. You are an heir to the kingdom of God. That is the point that Paul is making here. And you don't want to forfeit your inheritance for just living immoral doing things that are contrary to God's word. He's like, no, the people who do these things, guess what, they have no inheritance in God's kingdom. Church, you are an heir. You're really rich. The kingdom of God, it's not that you just will inherit. I mean, it's not just that you will enter the kingdom of God. But Paul says we inherit the kingdom of God, meaning that we have some ownership in it. Let me give you this verse to remind you. Go with me to Matthew 25. This is the last verse. Matthew 25. Verse 31 through 34. I want to read you this verse. Because the Ephesians, I've, they had this, this good understanding about the kingdom of God that I think we don't have as a church. Um, and that's why that's my new obsession. But they understood it where Paul can say for certain you know that no one um, idolater or immoral person would inherit the kingdom of God. But go with me to Matthew 25. I want to show you how you have an inheritance here. Matthew 25. Verse 31 through 34. And this is coming from the mouth of Jesus. I want to show you you are an heir. I'm going to read verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes, talking about Jesus in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Look. And all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. 33, and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Look what he says to, to the sheep here on 34. Look what he says here. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father. What should you do? What does he say? Inherit the kingdom. Who is it prepared for? Prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 
That's why I said you are heirs. Jesus says the meek will inherit the earth. Talking about the new heavens and new earth. You are an heir to the kingdom of God. You will not only just enter the kingdom of God, but you actually have some ownership in it. And Jesus said this kingdom has been prepared from you for you from the foundation of the world. See, in the beginning, when God created the earth, when he created man and woman, right, he gave Adam rulership. God was the true king, but he allowed Adam to actually reign with him where Adam had dominion over all the creatures over all the land but when sin came in the world that dominion was lost but now in this new kingdom that is being restored where you will now reign with Christ as the scriptures tell us you will now inherit the kingdom of God you have an inheritance in this this treasure that Jesus says it is worth selling all for and so Paul is saying the people who walk in moral they will lose that inheritance you will not have that inheritance so the thing that he is waving before the Ephesians is that you are heirs of God and if you live contrary to God's word you will lose you will not have ownership in the kingdom of God so don't live that way why because you are heirs it's just like Jacob and Esau remember Esau had this birthright but he was starving with food and what did he do because he was so hungry he traded his birthright for some food for a temporary satisfaction that's the same thing with us you are heirs of the kingdom of God you have an inheritance do not trade your inheritance for a one-night stand do not trade your inheritance to get blunt and high do not trade your inheritance to just watch pornography material do not trade your inheritance it's not worth it you want the kingdom you are an heir of the kingdom of God there's nothing worth forfeiting that for there's nothing and that's the point that Paul is bringing here that's what he's waving the sand you know Ephesians that anybody do these things that the people in verse 6 are trying to deceive you and tell you that it's okay to do you know that anybody does those things they will not have an inheritance in the kingdom of God so don't be partakers with them don't follow them you see the, the logic that Paul is doing here that's it this is the spiritual warfare don't listen to their voices Paul tells the Ephesians you know for certain you know, for certain, it's not even a doubt that people that live this way, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Church, you know. You've been born again. You know what God demands. You know what he calls. Don't listen to their voices. That's the enemy talking. That's the sons and daughters of disobedience talking. That's them with the spirit of Satan walking in them talking, trying to convince you to do those things. Don't listen to their voices. They may look pretty, they may get a celebrity, they may look really nice, they may can rap really well, they may can shoot threes and shoot, but don't listen to them. Don't let that fool you, don't let the trinkets fool you. Listen to God's word, you know the truth. Amen, church, we'll stop there. Heavenly Father, you are so good. Thank you for warning us and showing us in your word what to be on guard against. Thank you for this inheritance that we have. Jesus, you made it possible that we can become heirs of the kingdom of God and of Christ. We thank you, God, that this wrath is no longer abiding on us. But we met you. We know the life. We praise you, Lord. And God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here who hear those voices and struggle and who feel tempted to follow them.
Will you remind them of your word when they come? Will you help them lift up that short, that uh, shield of faith, God? Help them to recall your word, Lord, as they hear the voices that try to tell them things contrary to your word. God, and help us, Lord, to be like these Ephesians and really understand this inheritance that we have. Help us to grow in our understanding of our inheritance, God. See that we're really rich in you, Lord. Give us a better understanding of the kingdom of God that we will be partaking. Bless your people today, God. In Jesus' name, amen.